welcome to the Hillington Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust podcast. Hello everybody, my name is Danny. I'm the Diversity and Inclusion Lead of the Hillington Hospital's Foundation Trust NHS. And uh, to mark the Transgender Visibility Day, uh, we're grateful because we have today with us uh, Soraya Bohm, uh, who works for NHS and she also delivers uh, trainings uh, for air transgender awareness trainings or workshops. Um, so thank you Soraya for joining us and you. would you like to give us a bit of um, information about yourself, what you're doing? Um, yes. Yes, yeah, so um, I work as a, a cognitive behavioural therapist um, for uh, West London. Um, but for about a year now, I've been running the additional workshops for West London Trust, um, looking at um, looking at diversity, gender diversity, um, and sort of transgender non-binary identities. Um, for And the workshops are really for NHS staff to understand more about um, transgender and non-binary lives, um, because it's it's very important, I guess, that we have quite a good understanding of that. Fantastic. Awareness is the key because uh, I'm coming from from Greece. I was born in Greece. I mean, back back in the days when I was raised in Greece, I didn't even have the opportunity to talk about transgender rights. And you can yeah. see how society has evolved and has changed, which is great to see. And mm. and also awareness is very important for our our colleagues because, you know, not many people prefer to declare if they belong to LGBT community, uh, mm. even even more if they know somebody uh, who has gone through the t- transition. Um, so it's very important. So how how society uh, has changed? How has get more inclusive, if that makes sense? Yeah, so we do hope, don't we, that as society moves forward, there is a trend towards inclusion. Um, yeah. I had a similar experience to you, you know, growing up in Britain, uh, tran- transgender lives mm-hmm. were, were not discussed with me either. Um, uh-huh. And, and I, I didn't kind of know know anything about, about it. But I guess one thing I was going to maybe use to think about transgender visibility is, I guess visibility in media, because of course, if we don't know somebody directly who's mm-hmm. who's transgender or non-binary and who's told us that, um, then that then our, our only experience and our first experience of these types of people may be through, I guess, the media and the pop culture and the things that mm-hmm. we see. Um, so yeah, I was going to kind of take, just take us through a bit of a, a kind of very whistle-stop history yeah. um, mm-hmm. of the types of media that we have seen around. Um, and this is mostly um, focused on Eng- English language speaking media because that's what I kind of know more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in the very earliest days of cinema, we had kind of Alfred Hitchcock, a very famous director, and his film Psycho. The most famous scene in that features a cis man dressed as a woman to murder a cis woman in a bathroom. Um, I mean, I think that's quite interesting when you consider the way that some people think and talk about trans people in gendered spaces even today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't you, know if you that's can find that in the, in, the, in the actual you can find that in the actual movie. For example, you did mention yeah. that it's uh, the movie Psycho, obviously. Mm-hmm. But is it quite it was quite concerning back then to link transgender or gender non-conforming uh, people with a serial killer? I think it was quite. Yeah. It was quite shocking to see that. Obviously, back back in those days, you didn't mm. expect to have the same awareness as we have now, and this is this is why, you know, society moves towards inclusion. But it's it's quite yeah. Your point is is remarkable. Actually, I agree with you. 
Yeah, and I, I guess it's it's interesting because uh, it started off a kind of trope. I mean, I think it's I think it interested people to see this idea of um, something monstrous, something strange, something ab- ab- like an aberration, I suppose, from the norm, and to and to pose that as being gender nonconforming. Um, you know, and that was something that we saw in kind of the the coding of lots of villains. I mean, if you even if you think about um, Scar from The Lion King, a lot mm-hmm. of people have thought about the fact that Scar has a kind of queerness about him that you know that, <laughs> yeah. that we might imagine. But um, it, it it created a bit of a trope. There were a lot of trans or gender nonconforming serial killers then. You know, in the eighties, we had. Um, the, the film Silence of the Lambs as well, which features right. the kind of Buffalo Gil, Bill character um, in a similar type of role. And then it kind of evolves further towards the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. There, there are some comedies, like things like The Hangover, Family Guy has it in, um, mm-hmm. Ace Ventura as well, which mm-hmm. begin to kind of include this joke of maybe an, a, a desired an objectified woman turning out to be trans and it, it becomes a kind of simultaneously transphobic and homophobic joke that mm-hmm. a cis man's masculinity is in question because he he realizes that the person he's been maybe lusting after is actually uh, a transgender person um so it, it and it was it was very often posed as as a joke it kind of it, often the reveal of someone's trans identity would be accompanied by like other characters physically being sick in response and kind of these these awful this way of kind of monstering still was there um but posed as a more like funny amusing amusing joke i don't know if that's something that you ever experienced in any media that you watched but it was something of a, a trope in the kind of 90s, the like gross out comedies that we had then. Totally, totally agree with you there. Totally agree mm. with you. However, the last the last few decades, I think we we have moved towards inclusion more and more, and and this is why it's great. Um, yeah. So if you have more examples, I would be more than happy to hear because you, you your your points are really really great. Um, yes. So yeah, more examples. I mean, what movies or TV shows that you've seen? Yeah. So more recently, you know, we started to see more sympathetic depictions, which kind of attempt to deal with the real subject matter of actually what it might be like to be transgender, what it's like to be um, to have um, a kind of a, a non-binary gender as well. But, you know, it, we were still not quite there. So in, in 2015, there was a film, The Danish Girl, with uh, um, Eddie Redmayne. Um, and although the, the depiction was very very sympathetic and quite thoughtfully yeah. done. Yeah. Um, they were using a you know a cis male actor, which still has this kind of undercurrent of the idea that that really a trans woman is kind of a, a man like Eddie Redmayne who who can take the costume off at the end of filming. Um, so and it's only very much really quite quite recently still so um, where we really start to see sympathetic. Um, uh, you know, sympathetic stories and actual trans actors um, taking up these roles. So we've got like Laverne Cox in, in Orange is the New Black. Um, and, and we can see here there is that trend kind of towards inclusion. Um, although we still see very few representations of non-binary characters. And I would say probably fewer trans male characters. So it's so a trans men. Yeah. Um, and uh 
So I guess for all of that trend towards inclusion as well, we, we can't kind of take it for granted. You know, we still have the, probably the most famous author who's who's alive today, J.K. Rowling, yeah. published a book in only 2020, which featured a man who dressed in women's clothes in order to murder cis women in, in gendered spaces. So I guess, you know, these old ideas, they, they don't fully they don't fully kind of die. Link. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I agree with you. And and and, and something that uh, I want to add is the um, the TV series uh, the Pose Pose. If you if oh, you watch yes. them, yeah, um, I, I think yeah, it was quite popular, and it, it does you know takes you through the lives of uh, transgender people, um, mm. you know, through the eighties and nineties, and how difficult it was back then. Um, yeah. I, I just I just love the series as well. So so let's let's be more specific. So what does this mean in healthcare? So for example you know, what the impact that that awareness in community and society uh, has in healthcare now? How about patients and our colleagues? Yeah, so I guess, you know, when we say that possibly the main way that people might have known about or engaged with trans lives might be through the media that they see, and that's not always accurate, I guess that, you know, that those people include NHS staff. So, of course, you know, the, the way that society sees and portrays trans and, and gender non-conforming people does have a direct effect on how they interact with healthcare and and on their real lives um you know nhs staff essentially may may not have as as good an understanding of trans lives um as as we would wish so mm -hmm. i guess what we know is that trans people have poorer health outcomes more generally they're less likely to trust and present to the healthcare service um gendered healthcare can often unthinkingly use language that's not inclusive and outdated which has a real effect on health outcomes you know how are we ensuring we communicate accurately about cancer screenings when trans men will require cervical screening and trans women will need to be aware of symptoms of, of prostate cancer you know these are these are quite important things if we're if we're not communicating um, in an inclusive way. Um, so and I guess, you know, anyone who comes to hospital or comes to a healthcare setting will probably have experience of meeting many, many professionals who might be involved in their care. And, and really, it only takes one person to use outdated language or act in a discriminatory way to, to make somebody feel quite unsafe. Um, and I guess as well, even well-meaning professionals can cause kind of unnecessary stress if, if everybody needs explaining to repeatedly about your identity and your own kind of characteristics. You know, that has a, an impact as well. It's, it's a high burden to expect for someone who's probably having a, a difficult day already if they're in hospital. Um, if Definitely, or if they're no, I agree. Unwell. I agree. And yeah. and just just to ask you a, a quick question. Uh, mm. Obviously, NHS is one of the you know biggest, if not the largest, uh, organisations in the world. And why? And we're so diverse. And I think we're definitely the most diverse organisation. So why do you think we still struggle to accept uh, transgender rights or to embrace, if you like, and to understand? And why some people are still against? Why, from your experience, why do you think still this is happening? Yeah, I guess there are a few things. I think because of being such a big organisation that is quite top down, you know, we get our funding from governments, which are again very, um, very powerful organisations. 
And I think that's sometimes how we um, how we allocate care and resources in quite, you know, in a top down way. You know, this person can have this and this person can have that. Um, And when you have a system like that and a system that also has had the idea of um, differences between men and women just baked into it because our society does, it can be really hard to unbake that. You can't unbake that cake, if you know what I mean. It's the yeah, yeah. the you know the fact that we have um, men's wards, women's wards, men's toilets, women's toilets. All of these things are you know they're they're kind of they they're considered as normal um, and expected. However, you know then that can really really struggle when it comes into contact with somebody who doesn't fit into those categories. Um, you know, so we've really always, need... mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, we really need then, uh, you know, robust training and really targeted, um, mm. you know, actions, for example, to, to tackle, to address those issues that you mentioned, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think as a society, we've always, we've always policed the boundaries of gender quite heavily. I mean, a, an example of that might be that that's you know when um up until very recently if a baby was born that had um maybe genitalia that was like unclear as to whether it it would be like male or female genitalia doctors would just fix that you know they would they would perform surgery on on young children to, to fix that because we think of that as as important you know as important part of health is to have a category um so I guess it kind of it kind of leads from that. Um, but of course, like you said, the NHS employs so many staff. We undoubtedly have trans colleagues and um, non-binary colleagues as well. Um, so that's important to note that there will be staff in the organisation who are also um, who would also kind of fall under this bracket. Um, and it's important for the training not just to be to support us with working with um, trans and non-binary patients, but also, of course, staff um, who can can struggle with many of the same challenges um, as as patients. Um, right. You know, an example I think of is kind of if you're looking at personal personal care tasks. Sometimes we we kind of gender those. We say, a, you know, a female um, member of staff will do the personal care tasks. Um, for a female patient perhaps Um, but you know how are we defining you know are we being careful when we write those policies to to make sure that um, our definitions of um, female or whatever are inclusive right no no that's fine and we we definitely experience uh, on a daily basis either microaggressions or you know even even worse transphobic um, you know aggressions um, so definitely policy change is is something that we should look, look into but mm. also training maybe we can roll out uh, training uh, for awareness uh, for transgender uh, people and colleagues and patients because uh, hopefully this is going to change uh, our society um, so how about your trainings now would you like to talk about the training you provide to NHS which is which is remarkable really yeah, so I've been providing this training. It's it's kind of specific to um, to transgender and, and non-binary lives. Um, I've been providing it for about a year, kind of monthly at, at West London, and it's open to any NHS staff, whether you're clinical, non-clinical, what you know, whatever level. And I have had, uh, you know, anybody, you know, anybody can can come. I think 
it basically just aims to give every member of staff, no matter how clueless um, you feel kind of initially, a, a really good grounding in what you need to know when it comes to trans lives and how to be trans inclusive. Um, you know, I have my own values that I work towards in trying to guide the running of the training. So I, I chose compassion, equality and curiosity. Um, but I guess one that I'd like to highlight is is compassion. I guess I think it can seem very overwhelming for people who fear that they're behind the curve on certain issues or that they don't know enough. Um, it can feel overwhelming and being overwhelmed really doesn't um, really doesn't help. It kind of causes a freezing and withdrawal rather than, you know, looking to find things out. It can be if we're overwhelmed, we just want to kind of run away from it. Um, so that compassion that I, I want to sort of foster is to support people with engaging. Um, and, you know, for anyone who's kind of listening to this and guiltily thinking like, oh, God, I feel like I, I'm kind of lost. I don't know enough. Um, you're the ones who who not only might really enjoy learning more because it's, it's quite an interesting topic, but could also become leaders in encouraging others to learn more too. And that's that's a huge part of being an LGBT ally, really. So, so yeah, the training is, yeah. is kind of run from that basis. <laughs> it's great. And uh, I would like to, to ask a question, a more generic question. So mm. for colleagues or for people, um, who might say, you know, why do you have to to disclose that information? For example, I, I belong to LGBT, I'm a gay man myself, and I, I'm happy to um, to be open and, and honest and authentic, um, not because for myself. I It's not yeah. a selfish, you know, thing to promote your sexuality. It's all about the people that they have no opportunity to promote and to say that they mm. belong to LGBT. So for me, the answer would be that it's not for myself, it's for people who are still afraid to talk or they they're not confident how mm. how about you what have you seen have you have they asked you this question and why how did you answer from your experience so did, did somebody came to you and say i don't understand why you have to promote and you have to deliver this training because it's a personal choice for people not to disclose that information yeah and i mean i it, in one hand i i agree with them it's completely you know in anybody has the choice to disclose um, you know their own their own identity or not and particularly because that can impact on on some people's safety you know we can't force people to to be open about things if they still feel unsafe if they still feel unsure um, but I I don't think that that means that um, that people who are maybe um, cis or you know non-trans or non um, not non-binary um, or people who are straight um, shouldn't have an understanding of LGBT lives, especially because that, that has such a big impact on how you might support that person, especially as a healthcare professional. Um, and, you know, I think people um, people are encouraged sometimes um, to do things like put their pronouns in their email signature. Um, and again, I think that that's a personal choice. Not everybody is is ready to do that. Not everybody has really had had chance to think about what their personal pronouns are, um, and that's fine. But if we can do it, I think I'm I'm agreeing with you that if if we can be open about it, um, you know, I'm I'm a queer woman, but I'm also non-binary, which I know sounds like a, a contradiction, but <laughs> that's how I identify myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I'm with you that I, you know, I, I 
I identify that as as somebody who knows that I wouldn't have always had the privilege to openly say that you know, particularly That's great. at work. <laughs> I mean, I mean, awareness, again, I'm going to say awareness is the key. So what pronouns do you use, Soraya? Because I think I think we just need to get it right. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's she slash they. So I, I'm fine with either. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So it was really a pleasure having you here. Um, I, I could chat to you for hours, to be honest with you. Um, but um, thank you so much for the information. It was really, really great uh, having you here. And uh, I hope um, we'll see you at the training. And yeah, I will give the information to everybody who's interested to attend the training. And uh, we may arrange something soon. But thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for that. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. So. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Please do join in the conversation about this episode. Tag us in social media and uh, send us any other comments and let us know your thoughts and we'll see you next time.